0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is God-sanctioned ambition by guest speaker Terry King. And this morning I, I really believe I have a message that is imperative and important for us all. And it's a very different type of a message. I want to talk about God-sanctioned ambition. God-sanctioned ambition. And um, we'll get to that, but that's the title of it as we go through this journey of my message this morning. Those who are in the congregation this morning, how many of you endured Shakespearean plays at high school? (laughs) Yes, right. You understand, don't you? Do you you all like them? Put your hand up if you ever like them. Okay, some people did. Yeah, I agree. But my goodness me, the endurance of going through those plays. And then sometimes we had to act those plays out in order to be critiqued at school. And, um, and so I was at Mergen High School and I did uh, King Lear and also I did um, King Henry VIII. And um, I learned a lot. I really did. But however, I, don't ask me to uh, express too much of it today. But there is a play that I remember called King Henry VIII, as I said, and in this play, Cardinal, Cardinal Wolseley, who had extreme power in the Catholic Church at that time, was most adamant that he had King Henry VIII in his control. And in that play, Thomas Cromwell, who at the time was the king's principal secretary and chief minister, he, came, he was there and during the reign of King Henry VIII, And he secured his greatest ambition. And that ambition was to become an earl. He wanted an earldom. And he was then titled Earl of Essex by Henry VIII in 1540, just the other day. But Cardinal Wolseley was not happy. Not happy at all. Not happy, Jan. And uh, so he very sharply and very strongly said to Cromwell... Cromwell, I charge you for linger away ambition. By that sin fell the angels. Now, he had a point. He did have a point. We know that that was what Lucifer wanted. He wanted to be the supreme person in heaven. And so Cardinal Wolseley could see through it and he said, cast that ambition away. That sin fell the angels. And today I ask the question, is ambition necessarily a selfish or a self-indulgent quality, is it? The Bible appears to teach that there is an ambition which warrants strictures. We know that it has to come into the confines of what God's plan and purpose is. But there is an ambition which is actually worthy to be cherished. In essence, any ambition that centres around you and terminates upon oneself is actually unworthy. When an ambition which has the glory of God at its centre is not only legitimate but positively praiseworthy. I want to just touch on the idea of a master ambition. Thank you. Many can fail of worthwhile achievement simply because we have no master ambition, no dominating purpose to unify your life. And that's really sad. These sort of people live haphazardly, but not like Paul, who in the scriptures, in the New Testament in particular, who says, this one thing I do. And as we just even use that, that phrase, one thing I do was so much a purpose in his life that he wanted to always please God. Once he discovered who, God, who Jesus was, it was his whole aim. It was his one. Focus. It was his main ambition to please God. And so if we are to achieve a worthwhile ambition, worthwhile ambition, it will require such a wholehearted abandonment. And sometimes that's scary when we have to actually give ourselves completely to that whole ambition. Let me just share a worldly example first. There was a guy called Demosthenes and he was a Greek And he lived in between 384 and 322 BC. So that's before Christ. But he also was an orator. Now, when Demosthenes first spoke in public, he was hissed off the the platform. Get lost. Get going. They didn't want to listen to him. And um, that was quite embarrassing for him. Now, he could have gone off and sat in a corner and moped for the rest of his life. And also he recognised the fact that his voice was actually harsh, it was weak, and his appearance was less than ordinary. But he was determined that his fellow citizens would hang on every word of his. And so he gave himself day and night to oratory, to allocution. He shaved half of his hair... On his head, so not to be drawn into the vortex of society, which was all very flamboyant even in that time. And to overcome a stammer, he recited with pebbles in his mouth. He stood on the shore of the Aegean Sea, so to gain volume. He actually had an ugly hitching of his shoulder, and he corrected it by standing beneath a suspended sword. Ouch. because I'm sure he would have had it pierce his shoulder on many occasions, and he even corrected facial distortions. It was not surprising that when he next appeared in public, he moved the nation of Greece. He was on the stage with another orator, and when that companion orator concluded his speech, everybody got up and cheered and said, what marvellous oratory! But when Demosthenes reached his final sentence, the crowd rose and cried with one voice, let us go and let us fight Philip. A powerful and an awesome story. Took him from where he was nothing to where he became something of importance, but he had an ambition. His main ambition was to become the best orator. If we look at worldly ambition... It expresses itself in three main directions. It's to build your own reputation, to amass wealth, and that's not wrong, is it financial planner Tony, Uh, or to wield power. But its fatal flaw, that its centre is not in God. The type of ambition engenders jealousy. It engenders envy. It is impatient. The consideration of many, many people and others, and it will go to all lengths to achieve its ends. And we see this constantly, especially even in media and even those that are around about us, maybe people that we work for, you feel that their ambition is not about you either, but it's for themselves. And, and, and we can see what ungodly ambition can do and how devastating it can be. Even men and people in power, it can bring such disaster and such heartache. But how unsubstantial unsubstantial are its rewards and how trivial its achievements when viewed in the light of eternity. The ambition of Napoleon, for instance, or even Hitler, were stark reminders of how ambition brought only momentary glory, but with eternal shame. Such an ambition as this is the antithesis of the spirit of the cross of Christ. Christ didn't die for that to happen. The next point I want to just make is that we just have a look at what an unworthy ambition is. It is impossible it is sorry, it is possible to nurse an unworthy ambition in religious as well as in worldly associations. Now, before their transforming experience at Pentecost, two of Jesus' closest friends, James and John, they used their doting mother in an endeavour to gain them supreme privilege in Christ's kingdom over the other ten disciples. I mean, I knew we understand her ambition, we understand her desire, we understand why she wanted that, but it didn't work. And even at the Last Supper, it was not too sacred for an occasion to be marred by selfishness, strife, and so on, and even. Betrayal. The ambition which God sanctions is different. The true disciple of Christ lives by an entirely different scale of values. And the God-approved ambition must be pure, must be noble. It requires self-sacrifice. It's less of self and all of God. Which brought me to a memory. Back in the nineteen late 50s, early 60s, it was when Billy Graham came out to Australia. And sometimes, because I lived in a little town called Mergan, between, halfway between, near Kingaroy. And um, I remember going to Wandai, which is in between. It's a place where I actually was okay. born. So significant. Such a little town it is. But however, I came from there. That's the main thing. But I remember going to the Wandai um, town hall and it was sort of drawing people from King Roy and the surrounds, Mergan and so on. And we all met in that. And one of the most significant hymns that I remember at that crusade that was held by landline. We never saw Billy Graham as in on the screen like we do today, but it was by landline. So we would just listen to the message. But I remember the power of God. That was evident in that very little hall in... I in, um, oh, was more than a little... But there was a song, a hymn, and I won't go through the hymn because I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't want to do that. I know I have a song and dance act with Lynn later, but however, I'm not going to go there. But it used to say at the last line of each stanza, there were certain differences in the way that the hymn unfolded. And in the first stanza, it said at the end, all of self and none of thee. In other words, I'm in control, God. But as the hymn goes on and as the little story unfolds within the hymn, the writer and the hymn writer says it's less of self and more of thee. And then as it came to the last line of that hymn, and I remember it so well because that is when the Holy Spirit really, really started to impregnate my life with his desire for me to serve him. I remember those days it wasn't until later that it all became to, came to fruition, but it was none of self and all of thee. And I've never, ever forgotten how powerful that is because I, I don't always let that happen because I'm still a sinful person. But my whole endeavour and my whole ambition is to actually serve God and Christ and the Holy Spirit in a way that is not of self but all of God. The Christian disciple, you and I, must recognise that he or she belongs to Christ. Everything of us, our body, our intellect, our emotions and our will. And any honour that is bestowed on you as a disciple ultimately should belong to our Master Jesus Christ. And I know that there is many in this church who... I can see it being, you know, when people come up and say da 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 da, da praise or maybe some exciting, you know, uh, observation. But I often notice, and I, I, I think it's a beautiful trait, and I often have to try and do it myself, but that people deflect that. Not that they don't receive the congratulations, the, the, the expression of gratitude or whatever, but there's often you see that deflection that goes back to God. And that's the way we need to learn to live as people of God. So it goes back to Jesus. We must cherish and nourish the ambition to give rather than to receive, to serve rather than to be served, and to use time and talents for God uh, than in the pursuit of how important we might be. The next point is determining motive. It is the underlying motive which determines the character of the ambition which renders it godly or unworthy. The wrong lies not in the ambition, but in an inspiring motive. An intensely ambitious man himself, Paul encourages others to aim high by expressing himself to be an example. Did you always find it interesting that he would always big note himself in some degree? But it wasn't really, was it? Do as I do, or follow me, or whatever. And it's not because he said he wanted all the glory, but it was that he would do it for the sake of Jesus. In many times he would say, I press on toward the mark of the prize. Or so run that you may obtain and I always find that interesting because, believe it or not, I was to be an athlete at school, at high school, and I did fairly well in athlete, athletic, mainly in sprinting. And I always enjoyed the things that I did even in that, that field of athletics. But as I got to become a Christian and realised just how powerful this, this uh, phraseology or this, this wo- these words were, you press toward the mark. And so he had an ambition. My ambition was to win. My ambition was to cross that line and to do the best I could. And finally, I got to state athletics. I, didn't, I only came fourth, but however, it was still an experience. And, uh, and it, was, it there was a lot of stuff that I... We only referred back to it at, um, uh, at Life Group on, 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 uh, on Wednesday night here, which I run, and... and um, I remember that when I used to run, I, I, I was given the, 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 a pair of shorts that were silk, like silk shorts, because they were light. They weren't heavy. I could run faster, so my grandmother thought. So she made me these, believe it or not, I was dressed in silk shorts, <laughs> the singlet. I had the muscles then. And, uh, and then I had my running shoes, which actually gave me more traction and I was able to run. But I enjoyed uh, doing a sermon one time. Who remembers the time that I talked about that and the running the race and what we had to take off in order to run that race better and to put on? And it was, uh, yeah, you're all nodding. I hope you remember the right one because we, Dalwin remembered it. My title of my sermon was Nuding Up for God. Now, that's a wonder it didn't sort of... Yes, I know, Anita. I mean, Vicky. I mean, goodness me. Nuding up for God. How do you say that in church? Well, I did. But it was taking off stuff that was actually going to make us run the race better. Put off all that which is wrong and put on that which is love. So I didn't stay nude. I didn't really get nude, but I was just making the reference to the fact that we needed to... You need to do that. It was just a title that I was surprised that I stayed in the church after that. <laughs> and so three of his own unusual ambitions appear in his epistles. That's talking about Paul. He says, I want to be well-pleasing to God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 29. To be quiet and to have the quiet of the inner repose was another ambition in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. And to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named was another ambition of his, Romans 15, 20. And all his ambitions found its centre in Christ. And it came about that in Colossians chapter 1, he could very carefully say that, confidently say that, because in verse 18 of Colossians chapter 1, he says that in all things he might have the preeminence. That he, Jesus, have the preeminence. You know, I, I... I'm very fortunate to belong to a church like t- our church here. I, I belong to a church that has a desire to follow Jesus Christ and to and to lift Him up in every aspect of your life. I I, I see it as a pastor, and I I know Pastor Sean does. And there is this amazing. Uh, uh, sanctuary that we have here, a place where we feel safe, but a place that we can give and, and, and no one feels that they're better than the other. And even if we have an ambition, no one cuts you down and goes, oh, you're getting a bit too smart for yourself there. It's encouragement and it's, it's a desire to see people ex- ex- explode in the things of God, to enjoy the purpose of God, to enjoy the power of God in their life. And if we want to be like Paul. Paul and we need to uh, to go and say it's for Jesus sake i would ask myself the question as i would even ask you today are all your ambitions centered in christ are all your ambitions centered in christ one of the greatest bible examples of holy ambition is found in the old testament The brief but moving paragraph or verse allows us to have an insight into the character and ambitions of one man whom God singled out from all the chronicles of names or families. And that's, if you read Chronicles, wow, if that's your ambition to do that, good luck to you. That's a fairly impressive book when you have to read the genealogies. So in the midst of this chronicles of names and families there is one that is mentioned and his ambition caused him to be more honorable than his brethren. Its very setting is an oasis among a boring genealogy and it indicates the importance which God attached to his ambitious prayer and God preserved this prayer out of all the millions of people and this man and his godly ambition is called Jabez. And in in chapter um, uh, four of 1 Chronicles, verse nine, it says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother named him Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain or with pain. Verse 10, now Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me. And that you would keep me from harm that it might not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. Jabez sprang out of obscurity into age long prominence purely because of a secret prayer life that he had. His prayer provided the key to his life. And you know, God is sympathetic to holy ambition. You would think that by listening to that prayer, and it's, if you look at that whole chapter and previous and after, everything is just genealogy, genealogy, genealogy. I thought of Megan and Stephen, that when they have their next children, there's such a lot of names in there that they could choose. I can't even pronounce them, so that would be rather interesting. But boy, there's some interesting names. i stuck to Nathan and to Philip and Bethany and and uh, Timothy and Matthew, I thought we did pretty well with that as our five children. But I'd, I'm pleased I didn't have any lots of names that had, I could barely express. And as it was, I always get them mixed up anyway. I'd always call Philip, Timothy and Matthew, Nathan and Bethany always seemed to do all right because she was the only girl in the family. So I was pretty safe with, she knew I was pretty uh, good with my remembrance of her name. I don't think I ever called her Lynn, but they're very much alike today. And uh, so God is sympathetic towards godly ambition and holy ambition and Jabez cherished a strong ambition to which God responded magnificently. His four petitions were indeed ambitious and on the surface appear to be a bit selfish. But the fact is that God granted that which he requested. God delighted to honour Jabez because Jabez desired to honour God. Let's have a look at 1 Chronicles 4.10, and if you have it in your Bible, but you can remember what it said there. But I'll just open it up step by step. And so the fourfold petition of this prayer voiced an aspiration of his heart. Maybe it would be your own church prayer. Maybe it's your own personal prayer. And I don't think it would be doing us wrong if we actually decided that we would use Jabez's prayer. I remember when Jabez's prayer became a really significant sermon titles, you know, and and uh, I I preached on this before and it was interesting because I heard one other saying, um, you know, they, they would go back over their sermons. It might have been, I don't even know who it was. It could have been Stu, who knows. But we would go back and, and, and look at a sermon that we really, really felt was significant at the time. And I did that because when I was asked to come on the roster here, oh, what do I preach? You know, like, oh my goodness. And um, and this just came to my heart. You know, I, and as I started Started of perusing a few, and it kept on coming, kept on coming, and I thought, yes, I know, because as I've heard Sean and others speak about this church, we're on an amazing place, and we're on the cusp of, of something that is so much more exciting and most amazing, and, but we need to be positioned right and we need to have the right ambition. And so I feel that this prayer could be a catalyst or could be a, a real great foundation for us so, if we have a look at that fourfold um, uh, am, the fourfold ambitions, and we have uh, the first one is Chronicles chapter four verse ten, and the first one is um, he pleaded God for divine enrichment, for divine enrichment. He says this: "That oh, that you would bless me, indeed." Presumptuous. Not really, is it? Bless me, God. Bless this. Bless that. Bless everything else. But if your heart is right, God listens to it. What? They want to be blessed. Oh, will I bless them, he says. Will I bless them? Of course he will bless them. But if it is an intent that we take superior place, if we decide that we're going to take the preeminence, do you think he would just bless us? Not as much, no. He'd be nice to us, I reckon. But when it would be that I want to just be blessed for the glory of God, oh, he would just empower us with his blessing. See, no ordinary blessing would satisfy Jabez, he yearned for something which surpassed any previous experience. And I wanted to say to you as a church that that is where God has positioned us because let's let's just say thank you, God, for all the experience that we have had, all the things that we have been through as a church. But we're now, I believe, poised. We're at the starting line again. Another race is to be run. Get your silk shorts on. Get your running shoes. Your light singlet. And get to the line and be ready to run that race. However, I want to experience something even more than what we've experienced. Any previous experience. Let's not be settled. Not, not, let's not be satisfied in the things that we have had. Let's believe God to bless us even more. And J.B. Bez realized that a true spiritual blessing always ennobles character and qualifies to bring greater blessings to others. That when we're blessed, where does it go to often? Yes, to him out there. It goes on. We want to bless one another. We want it to accelerate. I don't want it to be stagnant in our church. I want it to accelerate because this church will grow into something that will be for the glory of God. I know and have no, qual- uh, no problem with it at all. And do you know what? It said that God granted him what he requested. The second point is, is that he prayed for divine enlargement. Oh, that you would bless or that you would enlarge my coast, it says. And Jabez knew that an increase of territory would bring him greater influence. His was a God-sanctioned ambition. As I was looking at that little phrase there about that you would bl- enlarge my coast, I've got to say it, Everybody. <laughs> For those of you who know who I am and where I've come from, but I'm a Queenslander, but I lived in New South Wales for a while. It was at Aladulla. <laughs> yes. Hey. Mark, I thought you'd be more excited. It was there at Milton that that man came to Christ. Isn't that so fantastic? Milton Aladulla is a little twin town. Milton was the little historical part um, and then Aladulla was the, the, the place where it was the fishing port, you know, the fishing place. And, and uh, we were there served past, as a pastor for 12 years. And, and however, it was in that time that God had planted us in there and we started this church within two years. And, and, and this was, a, it was an ambition. It really was because God had put this ambition in my heart that we would enlarge the coast. It was not just going to be at Aladulla. And so there was Batemans Bay at the, at the other side of us down to the south and then uh, uh, Jarvis Bay or Jervis Bay to the north of us. And uh, so people had heard about our church. We were the first Pentecostal church in Ulladulla. And we'd come out of the Baptist church and started that church there. And, and it, was, it, it, it was an exciting time. And we were raising our children as well. And, um, uh, and I, I found it hard, I have to admit, but I found it a joyous time purely because there was an ambition within my spirit. And that was to have greater influence on the coast. So I sort of understand this prayer a little bit about Jabez, you know, enlarge my coast. And 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 so in the two year, first two years of our starting that church in Ulladulla, we started one down at at um, Batemans Bay because some people came up from there and they were really worthwhile people. They then became my leaders and then people from Jervis Bay came down to our church and then eventually we planted that church there. And I'm very excited and I don't say it with any egotism, but those three churches are still existing today, which is good. And and so they've still got that presence within that coastline. It wasn't easy work, I can assure you. But when it was towards the fact that it was to enlarge this sphere for God, it made it worthwhile. I would have probably then just, no, it's not worth it. And so I would like to encourage you, don't be satisfied with just a little space, as it were. And how I mean that is that sometimes we are feeling a little insecure and we just don't want to go any further. You know, like, just keep me in this little confine. Just keep me in this space. What I like about this is that the divine enlargement impress, it, it expresses this point that let's dream bigger. Let's go bigger. Let's not be content with this space, but let's get out there and see this increase. Bless my coast. Enlarge my coast. Don't be satisfied with just a little space. I would like to share a motto of William Carey, who was a great missionary, and his motto was, and some of you probably know it: "Attempt great things for God, expect great things for God." So that man, when he went out into the mission field, and often we often we thought that missionaries were to be humble, you know, people and so on. This man, he was not. Not in the sense that he was. Um, not doing anything, but he had said, he said, "I'm going to attempt great things for God, and I'm going to expect great things from God." Do you? Do you? I do. I expect great things from God. I expect great things from Him. And God wants people like you and me who are discontented with limited opportunity. Don't be satisfied with your limited opportunity when He could bring greater glory, when we can bring greater glory to a wider sphere. Who knows where God is going to take us out to? And our ambition should be for a wider influence for God, a deeper love toward God, a stronger faith in God, and a growing knowledge of God. Those four aspects are really imperative and important because otherwise we just go out there on our own tangents. But when we have a purpose, when we drive it to, with something that is so powerful as, as 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 a wider influence, a deeper love, a stronger faith and growing knowledge of him. However, the motive or ambition must be carefully watched. It must be. Don't just take it for granted. It's all going to be fine and rosy, wine and roses. When it's right, God will not deny our prayer. And what did God do? God granted him that which he requested. The third petition was a divine enablement. Oh, that your hand might be with me. And so an enlarged coastal territory involves increased responsibilities and imposes greater demands. And Jabez knew that he required a greater power than his own to possess and develop that new territory for God. Who is the greater power than our own? The Holy Spirit. And so we would ask we cannot fail this, that we ask every day and every Sunday that the Holy Spirit come into this meeting and to take control, to empower us for that which is ahead of us and that which is for um, for us to do. If we're going to have new territory for God, and it might be in an individual way, a personal way, it can be in a corporate way such as our church. But God's hand represents that mighty power Now there's a man called John the Baptist, as you know in the Bible, and he moved Israel so mightily because the hand of God was with him. It says that in Luke chapter one verse 66, John the Baptist, wow, what an impressive man he was. And so for Jabez, God granted it. God said yes. Fourthly, and the final request was a divine environment. Oh, that you would keep me from evil, evil that it may not grieve me. Jabez knew well that inevitable peril that would be out there if he had an enlarged coast. The larger the responsibilities, the more attack that we might get. And he was not uh, unaware of this. And so that was his prayer, that there would be an attempt for great things for God, but knowing that there would be an attraction, or it would attract the evil one. And Jabez's prayer is appropriate. And even Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17, verse 15, is appropriate when he says, I pray, when he prays to God, that you would keep them, us, um, from the evil one. And so Jesus was praying for that divine environment for us. So many times we tend to give the devil the glory. Oh, the devil got in here, and I was just about to do this, and it was, and you know, and we, it, it it undoes what God has encouraged us to do or desired for us to do. And so Jabez's prayer was that if I could just have that divine environment. It wasn't that he was free; that evil wasn't going to be there, but it was building and preparing an environment for him. And Jesus, remember, is interceding for you right now. And I pray that you would keep them from the evil one. We are vulnerable. There's no question about that. And we need to walk in humble dependence upon God. And in his conscious need, Jabez prayed for a sense of God's presence and his environment. What did God do? God granted that request. I leave you with these prayer requests that Jabez had and they could be yours. I would pray that today you don't just take this as a oh, Terry preached a sermon and <coughs> blah, blah, blah. I would hope and pray that today, even if you can find that verse, put it in your Bible or write it out somewhere. It is a powerful little uh, prayer and, um, and, and, and I really wanted to de- hopefully delight you in that prayer because it can become your personal prayer. I believe it can become our corporate prayer and our ambition to do things for God. The question that I would ask, and I asked this of myself to, uh, when I was preparing a sermon and writing it out because I'm a person that has to write everything out. And I have at the bottom here of this sermon and I'm asking myself, are you starving your prayer life with a lack of vision and godly ambition? Are you starving your prayer life with a lack of vision and godly ambition? We and you and I answer that question, and I'm not saying it because I want to make you feel inadequate or, uh, you know, awful in any way, but I ask that, that question of myself, is this going to bring glory to God? Is my vision bigger? Am I just saying the same prayers? And so I leave that with you this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your time with us this morning. I thank you for your presence. And take us into places, Lord, and uh, encourage us and, and build us up. We pray this prayer this morning in our own hearts and uh, we we move forward with this godly ambition that we're going to do more and more in your name and for your glory. Bless everyone as they leave this place today. Encourage them and uh, uplift them. Heal people that need healing today. Bring a sense of joy and peace into their lives. Give them encouragement. And I would even ask... Oh, God, that if there's anyone, and I say this to you as a congregation, if there's anyone that needs prayer this morning or just a healing or or just a touch from God, you're most welcome to come and I'll just be here and I can pray with you. But other than that, God, we pray that you will bless these people indeed in Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available,